Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I move that the convention suspend the procedural rules. I move that all votes cast by delegates be reflected in the official record. And I move that Hillary Clinton be selected as This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics on the ground at the Democratic National Convention. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we've wrapped up day two here for them, but it was the first day we've been in Philly for the Democratic National Convention, and it was a big day. History-making day, Beth. Well, I think, Sarah, it's only appropriate to start off with, how you doing? I still flying pretty high. I hope we all are after we've officially nominated a woman for the presidency. I mean, it's just so big. And it's like, you don't have to say the, like, presumptive nominee of a major party. It's just ceiling shattered. 
it was a pretty dramatic day and pretty dramatic imagery around mm-hmm. that shattering of the ceiling and certainly a lot of energy in the hall. So I guess that is a good place to start. Just we notice immediately real contrast between what we're seeing here and what we saw in Cleveland. Absolutely. Well, and especially it was a very sort of by, from choices we made. I went to we went to a really cool event with an organization called Ultraviolet about sort of calling out sexism. Um, a very feminist-focused event. Then I went to see Adina Menzel perform in sort of honor of the women of the Congress, a very woman-focused event. And then overall, the whole evening was very um, focused on the power of women, which, you know, it's hard not to be energized by that as a woman. No, I agree. I mean, it's interesting to be here as a Republican, um, especially as a Republican who doesn't... um, associate myself with Donald Trump, right, or what is being run against here. So it's it's more just a fly-on-the-wall feeling. And um, I think as a woman, it's pretty complex to disagree from a policy perspective with a lot of what is being discussed, but also really appreciate the significance of a, a woman being nominated. And not just a woman being nominated, but the thread of leadership here from women and the the constant return to just women speakers, the visuals, the number of young women who are present here. And that's another key point, I think, and a difference from Cleveland to here, um, the the sheer volume Mm -hmm. of young women really changes the atmosphere. Yeah. Well, I just feel like there's sort of... um with the history being made, you know, at the very end, for those of you who didn't see, they sort of showed pictures of every single president, and then after at Obama's face, it sort of, it looked like a, it was shattering, so it just shattered big and wide, and as it shattered and fell away, history, or Hillary, history, Hillary, oh, I'm confusing the words, uh, Hillary was sitting there, and she said, basically, you know, think this is about all of us, and, um, I might be the first female president, but to all the little girls who stayed up late, you know, I hope it doesn't end with me. And they sort of zoomed out and she was surrounded by all these little girls. And I mean, I was, I, I keep thinking about how, if I would feel differently about this moment, if I had little girls and not little boys, do you, was that sort of heavy for you as the mother of two little girls? It's, I mean, it's exciting for me as the mother of two little girls. I'm, I'm thrilled that this has happened. And so they don't have to grow up not knowing this, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I think that's really significant. It, I'm just, it's a very weird emotional state to appreciate it so much on the level of being a woman and to um, struggle with the fact that it's still sort of not my view of government. Like, you sit there and you want to be a hundred percent on board because that would feel good. Yeah. And, and a lot of it was about feeling, I mean, it was a super well produced event. You know, I, I sort of teetered between finding it a little bit emotionally manipulative <laughs> and also being like really appreciative of the hard work that goes into that, the serious production value, the effort of so many people. I mean, that speaks to the genuine enthusiasm that, that people have about Hillary Clinton. And so, all that's good, and it's just um, it's it's complicated for me because as as the mother of two daughters, yeah, of course, and as a woman myself who, you know, desperately wants to see more women in leadership, it's it's fantastic. Well, you know, the history making aspect of Hillary Clinton's nomination, you know, 
here I go. As a woman running for office is not complicated for me. It's very powerful. It never stops being, you know, emotionally intense to just think. You know, when I was in college, we used to do these programs where we would go to high school students. I did it for the first time. I can't remember what kind of it. I think it was an American Association of University Women event. And you would stand in a crowd and this woman would come up and she or man. And you would say, like, stand up if you think in your... This was always the question I remember. Stand up if you believe in your lifetime you'll see a woman president. And I just think back to that time when, first of all, that was just this abstract question. I think about how many people didn't stand up. I think about when I was in college and I was asking this question and I was being asked this question. You know, I wanted to think it would happen and I believed it would happen. But that's just different. It's different from being optimistic that one day we'll have a woman running for president and then to have the reality of it being true. It's just such a big historical moment. And it's as a woman currently running for office, it's really hard to sort of take in. And I think there's a part of me that's like (laughs) holding back. Cause I feel like if I open the floodgates and just really feel it and I cried a lot last night, but not like I'm truly capable of crying. So we'll see what happens on Thursday when I, or maybe I'm just holding off because I'm, you know, I want her to win. I don't want her to just be the first female presidential nominee. I want a female president. And so um, the history making part of being here is so big to me. It's, you know, in the same way it's hard for you to articulate because it's difficult. It's hard for me to articulate because it's so, so big and so such a powerful moment for women. And, um, for me as someone who's running, as someone who's worked for her, just on a lot of levels, there's a lot going on for me basically well, I think the other thing that I have been feeling and, and I felt this particularly when we went to the event with ultraviolet which by the way we'll link up in our show notes is a fantastic organization if you are interested at all and and it's from a fairly I mean fairly bipartisan place yeah. there's certainly a preference in this election for one yeah. candidate but um, it, in how women are covered in the media, what it's like for women to run for office, you should definitely check them out. It's just purely feminist. It's not trying to get like right. Democratic women elected. It's just a purely feminist organization. But my thought uh, from that event forward has been a lot about, and I think this is a thought that a lot of people have about President Obama, too. The first is significant and enormous and wonderful and and it, uh, inadequate, right? Because you don't want President Obama to be the last black president, and you don't want President Obama to be the only prominent person in, um, in American politics of color. So it's like you want it to be a domino effect, mm-hmm. not just this single shiny moment. The moral moment. licensing. Exactly. You don't, want, you don't want too much of the backlash and too much of the moral licensing where people say, okay, see, we did it. We're good for a while. Um, and I'll tell you that... I had this thought on the plane and and wanted to do a blog post, and then I, my travel to Philadelphia was cursed. I think, so it, I, I ended up not being able to do this. But on the on the travel here, I was reading Avik Roy and listening to Yuval Levin and thinking a lot about where the Republican Party is and why. These are really smart people whose opinions I respect, and I don't take issue with anything that they're saying about you know conservatives aren't good at our messaging. Um, conservatives have given way to white nationalism in a lot of ways. I, I agree with all of that. What I think is missing and what I think that 
Democratic Party has really seized on here is the influence of women. And here, the generational divide between women is really palpable. You can feel what this means to older women and that that's something different than younger women. And to have that breadth of experience, that's really different than, well, we have a women's breakfast or we have a women's caucus or, or whatever, you know, where you have this tiny focused effort that says we're reaching out. Mm-hmm. That's really different than being top to bottom influenced by and led by women. And I think that that is the missing ingredient for right. the modern Republican Party. But let's talk a little bit more about sort of the advanced work, because I, I want to be specific about the differences that we're noting mm-hmm. between the two conventions. Uh, first of all, just the crowd size. Yeah, so many different. more people. And the fact that we were at the Republican convention on what should have been its biggest Big night, night when Donald Trump was speaking versus the roll call night for the Democrats. I mean, there, there was not a seat to be had Mm. around us. Um, we were able to kind of stretch out and be comfortable in Cleveland here. We were packed in. Yeah. Like sardines. And when you're that high up in an arena, you really notice how packed in the people are. And my friends from Monday night were saying they were sitting on the steps. It was standing room only. And I think, you know, it's only going to get more and more crowded with Obama speaking tonight and obviously Hillary's speech on Thursday. So, um, yeah, it's really crowded. It's really, and, um, I, what I've really noticed with regards to the, you know, in particular, the Bernie or bus people and the crowd of people unhappy with the democratic party is now I can't speak to Monday. I wasn't here and we didn't really have any booing or shouting yesterday, um, last night at all. So, but I read somewhere that somebody said there's more protesters but fewer police. And there is, like, this, like, rowdy contingent. And I don't know if um, we're just the Democratic Party is just used to it because there's such a broad coalition. But it just seems to be like a, instead of the sort of aggressive... Now, I don't know what would happen if a Tea Party or showed up and dropped a banner at the Democratic National Convention if people would be, like, forcing them out. But it just seems to be more like an eye-rolling and a definite frustration and people are... They want the Bernie or bus people to wrap it up. But there's not a, like, leave, silence them. We don't want you to say anything. We want you to go. You know, like, the booing happened and people just talked over it. And I think that's another function of women in leadership. You had with um, Representative Fudge and with uh, Stephanie Rawlings, is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, A a real no-nonsense process yesterday. I think that exactly the right people are are leading the convention and, and led the convention through the nomination process because tons of space was made for mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard's speech and, and, you know, the other speeches in support of Bernie as the nominee. Tons of space was made during the roll call. People were incredibly respectful of Bernie. Now, there the was that call. moment with the Oregon roll call where the woman that was telling Bernie's people's name tried to get the microphone away from the guy, and he was not letting it go, and he kind of pulled it back and made her speak into it, um, which was an interesting moment. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's it was a very... It's very female-focused. Everywhere I went, every event was about women. And not just sort of Hillary's nomination, but... Nancy Pelosi's big thing is when women succeed, America succeeds. And so all the, they they brought every single, I told Beth that was such a powerful moment for me. They just brought every single uh, female member of Congress and just let her talk. They were just like, okay, come on, ladies, let's all come out and you just say where you're from. And it was also really funny at the Adina Menzel thing. They went down the line and they would say like, 
I'm Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida. And they just sort of were quickly introducing themselves. And it sounded very much like the Miss America thing, you know, where they stand up and they say, you say, I'm Miss Kentucky. And everybody cheers. And I thought, man, I like this version so much better where it's elected women standing up and the crowd cheering from whatever state they represent. So that was really, you know, all day long. I went to Facebook. Facebook was holding this big event with Glamour, and it was Lena Dunham and Chelsea Clinton and America Ferreira, who Chelsea Clinton, or Lena Dunham and America Ferreira also spoke. Elizabeth Banks was sort of the MC for the night. It was just, it was heavy on the women focus, and you really, it's sort of like going, like I said about Ghostbusters, until you go to a movie where a woman is in a love interest, until you go to a political convention where it's just woman after woman. And listen, the night we went to at, Cleveland was, they had several women speakers, they had women talking about Donald Trump and his daughter introducing them, but for me, it feels different because, like you said, it's this bottom-up leadership, and it's not, it, you know, a lot of the women at the Republican National Convention felt like, well, we're coming out here to show you that there are women here and that we're okay with women, whereas here it's like, here's all our elected leaders talking about you know, reproductive rights and family leave and here's the stuff we've already done, here's the stuff we want to do and it just felt, like you said, like it felt more sort of foundational and who we are as a party as opposed to a gimmick, really like you said. Well, and I think from, even putting aside from a policy perspective, what you would typically put in the bucket of women's issues reproductive rights, equal pay uh, family leave there's a difference in leadership style that comes through at the Republican convention, what I felt was sort of a quiet resignation of everyone who is not excited about Donald Trump. But the idea that we have to be on board, we have to go through the motions here and make this work. And so we will do that because we are kind of a party that thinks about duty and fidelity and, and our convention has to pretend that we are all really excited about this. Mm-hmm. And I think this convention has not pretended that everyone is really excited about Hillary Clinton. I think this convention is trying to get everyone there, but it's but it's really made room. I can't imagine the Republican Party making the kind of room for Bernie Sanders that has been made yeah. here and for the and for those supporters because the effort has really been now, granted, behind the scenes, and, and to, to be skeptical, I think the leak of the emails probably influenced a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, the, the party has been called out at a really awkward time to be called out. But but I do believe that there is something, in, in broad generalizations, there is something about female leadership that tends to value disagreement more than traditionally male leadership that tends to be less threatened by disagreement than Mm -hmm. more traditionally male leadership. And I think that is an overall vibe. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. 
I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I think we just need to comment on like the production value of this so event high. is very, very high. It's there. There are constantly signs being passed out. We have a whole stack of signs. I mean, literally towards the end of Bill Clinton's speech, I had a stack of signs in my lap and I'd be like, hold on, I have a sign for that. And I would have to like flip through my stack and be like, okay, I've got my stronger together sign. But, like there were so many that I was like, wait, 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 I got a sign for that. Like it was pretty amazing. And you know, the videos themselves, there was more than one. There was lots of them, and they were so, so well done. Well, it was a clear progression of events. There was a story of yeah. last night, and it was sort of the story of here's what Hillary Clinton has been fighting for her whole life, and here's how that culminates in her as a competent, qualified, experienced, steady leader. And I think and it was that- like, you know, Hillary is a healthcare, it's helping in healthcare, Hillary with women and children, Hillary with social justice. Hillary and her work, foreign policy. Like, it was, like, very clear. And, you know, what I kept thinking about is the, 
there was all this really great commentary after Cleveland about, like, where were the personal anecdotes? Like, there wasn't really, especially from Tiffany and the kids, like, we were on vacation here, and he did this, or at my birthday party, you know, like, he did this, and there wasn't, I'm this other real New York City real estate tycoon, and I dealt with Donald Trump here, and this is how amazing it was. It was, like, people who worked for him, and it was just very light on actual person, personal anecdotes. We were drowning in personal anecdotes last night. Like it, it was, it was long, yeah, and laborious because while the content was interesting of most of the speeches, she also just has a long career, man. You, there's a lot to get through. While the content was interesting in most of the speeches, the speakers themselves were not all the most talented mm-hmm. orators, and so. It, it was a little bit difficult because I think the crowd chattered a lot. Like, it was very loud. You didn't get the sense that everyone was listening yeah. most of the time. And and I think one of the most interesting nights moments of the night got lost a little bit in all that crowd chatter because it was buried in so much stuff. Um, there was a, a person talking about the aftermath of 9-11, and I can't remember his name right now, but he... He delivered what I think is a devastating attack on Donald Trump about how after 9-11, Trump's businesses took money that was intended to help rebuild New York, even mm-hmm. though they had been relatively unaffected by those businesses. And the, the story was Donald Trump used 9-11 as another opportunity to make money. It, it reiterated this idea of selfishness and narcissism and dishonesty, really. And it was a really, really effective attack. And I think it was sort of um, muddled by just the volume of things surrounding it and all the activity in the room. It was U.S. Representative Joseph Crowley, and he spoke about... He spoke... I was really um, sort of impacted by the woman who spoke before her, Lauren Manning, who, um, as a 9-11 survivor, had burns over 70% of her body and talked about how um, Hillary Clinton kept checking on her and kept, you know, talking to her. It's, you know, the 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 new narrative is that Hillary Clinton, you know, Ezra Klein wrote this great piece on Vox about why there's this gap between the people who know her and what people think about her, and he his... A lot of it was that it was so her everything she does is so relationship based, and you really it was like a parade of these relationships. Um, there was a gentleman. The I'm, as I'm sc- scrolling through the program, I just realized how incredibly many people spoke. Like I totally forgot about Cecile Richards, but there was a really powerful um, statement from. Um, uh, I can't believe I can't remember the guy's name. There were so many people. But um, he struggled with um, a particular form of dwarfism, and he talked about how Hillary, he'd known Hillary for decades, and when she, he was a little boy and she had a back brace, he had a back brace, and she, next time she noticed he didn't have a back brace, and like all these sort of stories of, this was my struggle, this is how she fixed it. And then we got to um, the big speech of the night, which was Bill, who... I love, he, you know, he walked up to the podium and his particularly Bill style and said in 1970, in the spring of 1971, I met a girl and really took us on this rambling folksy, but sort of like policy focused speech about this is what she's done for her entire life. She's a, cha- the, the theme was she's a change maker. We also had signs for that, obviously, um, <laughs> change maker signs, but like it was this very, um, 
it was long and it was you you know chronologically going year by year can feel like sort of a trod but he really made it this you know peppered with all these really sweet stories about him and Chelsea watching the police academy and Hillary saying she was the designated worrier for the family which I sort of identified as a mom and you know the, the moment I turned to Beth and he's talked about with the day Chelsea was born and Hillary's water breaking and I just thought we're talking about a woman nominated for president we're talking about her water breaking like this is just so amazing and kind of crazy it's not something I ever thought I would hear before Bill the one other thing I wanted to comment on was um, the mothers of the movement mm. the women who had lost children uh, to you know police violence over the last year or so we heard from Sandra Bland's mother from Trayvon Martin's mother that was an incredibly um, brave thing of those women to do I thought they were incredibly graceful they were so positive in the face of these tragedies I mean just if you could just pull that lift that moment out of you know what is otherwise sort of a political Mm -hmm. zoo you know (laughs) and say like I would go, I would go to any forum on earth to hear from those women. Yeah. Because the way they talk about what's happened and what they're trying to do with what's happened is really, really inspiring. The moment I kept thinking about, it, and it really was, you know, starting to cry again because it was such a powerful moment when Trayvon Martin's mother says, "I'm an unwilling participant in this movement. Like I didn't want to be right. here. I didn't want this." Um, and that really, really um, hit me hard. And it's something I think about, you know, that moment is very emotional for me as a mother of sons because I just think I don't have to teach my sons. And they talked about that. Like, we shouldn't have to teach our sons to be careful. We sh- no parent should have to teach their child that uh, your life is valued less because you're a black boy. And, like, just all these things. And it was a very powerful moment. And they did a good job of laying the framework sort of polit. I mean, I think that, you know, Beth and I talked about this afterwards. I feel like they're the death of their children is sort of a uniquely political situation. It's a polit- It feels like a political act because of the current climate we're in. And um, they did also a really good job of laying the found. It wasn't just like, we're here to, um, because it's important as in we like Democrats. Like, they talked about how, they did this whole video about how Hillary was supposed to came and talked to them, and she was only supposed to be there for 30 minutes, but she sat down, and the 30-minute meeting turned into two hours, and she really took on their anger and t- listened to their grief and their frustrations and said, you know, here's what I think you can do. And you hear her saying, like, I think the best thing you can do is be, stay together, be, unite your voices. And then she just talks about, like, the, the point, the part I um, wrote down is, like, she says our children's names, which was really touching to me, like, this sort of, which is a big thing with Black Lives Matter, you know, say their names. And that's another thing, like, they came out and left to standing ovations to people from the Democratic, you know, the Democratic Party chanting Black Lives Matter, which is not, you know, not just pat ourselves on the back, Democratic moment, but that's a pretty powerful um, sort of progression for such a young movement. Black Lives Matter is not a very old mo- movement. And, you know, to have gone from just this, you know, street grassroots organization founded not very long ago to now being embraced and chanted, I think what a testament to that movement is how sort of I feel about it. You really see here the influence of even going back to Occupy Wall Street and then the Bernie Sanders supporters and the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movements. I mean, you really, really see the power of, of what 
seems like maybe a temporary blip, but really taking hold and influencing leadership. So I think that's, that's been awesome to see. Um, the, a big takeaway for me from attending both conventions and, and this gets back to Bill's speech a little bit is I can't overstate how different it is to watch something in person versus watching it on television. Yeah. One example of that, that was very clear last night, other than Meryl Streep, the in her flag dress, don't forget the flag which dress. I loved. But the celebrity presence fell oh pretty my flat in the hall. Oh. There were a lot of people, but those were not the moments that the crowd was most energized by. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Lena Dunham in America Ferrera more so. In the musical but performances, Elizabeth Banks was yeah. not was not particularly well received. Deborah Messing. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just not a high moment at all. Yeah. And it felt to me like, well, maybe that's more for television. Maybe that comes across differently. Well, and I think that must TV be what they were there for. Here. Like Elizabeth Banks was like sort of a, like a, uh, what's the word I want? Like an MC. Like or an MC. And so I think that was like for the flow of the TV and Deborah Messing introduced people like most of the celebrities were like introducing or America Ferreira and Lena Dunham were really good. Cause I think they, they were made it clear. Like we're not up here as like, we are celebrities, but they were making very distinct sort of points about their identities, like America Ferreira as the child of immigrants and Lena Dunham as a, like, a feminist and a woman with a sexual assault survivor with a chronic reproductive disorder and sort of made those points about, like, this is why she appeals to our particular um, problems and identity. And I so, but, you know, I thought about that a lot last night because I saw, you know, there was a lot of star power in the DNC and Beth and I've had this conversation. I, you know, I, for me, I really think it's important. Nancy Pelosi actually addressed this at, at the Adina Menzel thing. She said, somebody asked her, why is it important to have celebrities? And she said, because they draw attention. And for me, you know, I think I keep thinking about this, uh, uh, statement I heard on the Rob cast by Richard Rohr. And he said, culture always wins. Culture always wins. And so, for me, with the, the celebrity component, um, it's not because celebrities are always right, but it's because they drive the culture and who are celebrities and how they act as celebrities is sort of, it drives the culture and it's also sort of indicative of the culture and how we think about things. And so, you know, I think it is really important to have sort of when you feel like that, um, that sort of the star power is brighter on one side or the other and it's sort of star power that um is has always interacted sort of because it's what's interesting is it's not like you know you're rolling out George Clooney even though George Clooney takes political stances like these are celebrities who take political stances just like Scott Baio and Antonio Sabato Jr but it's just like the the sort of the wattage is different but I think you know I think Nancy Pelosi's right I don't think it means you're you're more right or you're less right, but I do think it is a powerful tool for a political party to have because it lends to that production value. It lends to the narrative. It lends to, and it, it brings attention, you know, like if people want to pay attention when famous people are talking just is the way it is. I just think the influence of media has become so clear to me by Mm -hmm. watching a story being created versus what's happening just happen. Yeah. And how many journalists are here. I mean, similar to 
Cleveland, the media presence is enormous. It doesn't feel quite as enormous here as it did in Cleveland. Yeah, it does. There's so many more people, There's so many more people, right. And the city just feels so different. It's more spread out. There are Bernie supporters everywhere throughout Philadelphia, certainly more than in the convention area. Um, But so just seeing how, like, you can look at this and say, I understand why the media works as it does, because there's so much unfolding and you do have to, like, wrap up these little sub-stories and these little packages to create some interest and just to make it digestible. Mm. Because, really, the program last night was not digestible. No. It was Hillary Clinton's so career is not much. easily digestible. <laughs> it's so, very long. But it, it makes you realize the power that media outlets have in translating that story. And, and also the power of social media, because I, I was tweeting while I was stuck on the plane for close to three hours um, in Baltimore, we, we couldn't land in Philadelphia because of storms. And so we sat on the plane forever and I was able to follow my Twitter feed and just seeing the extremes of commentary about what was happening. And I tweeted some of this, you know, depending on whose timeline you're following, Michelle Obama's speech was the most amazing thing ever, or it was so disingenuous because everybody knows she hates Hillary Clinton. And I tweeted some of that and, um, I was amazed by how you could follow whatever story you choose to follow Mm. on social media if you aren't witnessing it yourself. And that's, that's a difficult thing. We should talk about Michelle Obama for a second because I think we are in unanimous awe of the 14 minutes of oratory that she delivered. Yeah. I was going to say something really quickly though. I just thought about the celebrities. I think the other thing to remember is that this is a con- it's not just a media event. This is also a convention for the party and the celebrities are twofold. I think they're around like the Alicia Keys performance. This is a thank you to the people who work in the Democratic Party and the delegates. This is like here's your treat for working so hard and nominating Hillary Clinton and getting us here. You get to see Alicia Keys and you get to see Meryl Streep and you get to see all these famous people and it's a thank you to the famous people who are fundraisers and who use their water, their wattage to bring attention to these things. This is, this is your thank you. You get to come to the Democratic National Convention and be a part of this really cool event. So that's another thing. It's like it's a it's a relationship thing. It's a thank you to the people that are here and a thank you to the celebrities. And luckily, it works in some you know this sort of symbiotic relationship where everybody feels like they're getting something really fun out of it. Like Lena Dunham was posting from the floor. She's getting to meet all the delegates. She gets to do that. That's really cool. And the delegates get to meet Lena Dunham. So it's a win win. When you have something like that too. I sort of was thinking about that as sort of just in the, we forget that this is also a convention. It's always funny to me when they're doing like Robert's rules of order. Do I have a motion in this giant arena? <laughs> but Hey, when I guess you have a national party, when the national parties get this big, that's sort of the, the nature of the beast. But a Michelle Obama is the queen of the world. That's my summary. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. What I thought was so unique about Michelle Obama's speech is that it was of, by, for, and about women. Yeah. And it was it was not a woman delivering a speech that any man could deliver. It mm-hmm. was a woman's speech. And I loved her introducing motherhood as such a driver of decision-making. That rings really true to me. Yeah. Um, I, I loved that she did not pretend any emotions. I, she didn't smile much yeah. in that speech. You know, she was serious. She was measured. It just felt very personal and very, very well edited and well done. I think the fact that it was short is a lesson for everyone. Mm-hmm. These, you know, 50, 60, 70 minute speeches do not pack the punch no. that a well-delivered brief address did. So I I thought she did a terrific job and um, it was one of the best speeches I've ever seen. 
Well, what I said to my Texas to my husband is Michelle Obama is not going to send her baby girls out into Trump's America. Like that's that was my favorite part of the speech where she was basically like, "Look, <laughs> I am not sending them. my daughters are about to become adults. I'm sending them out to the world. This is not going to happen, people." And also the incredibly powerful moment of when she talks about that she wakes up every morning in a house built by slaves and then watch her watches her two you know amazing black girls play on the lawn with their dog and. Just she really, and the other thing that I think was really impactful for her speech is you sort of got this window into the Obamas. They've been, I always, I think about a lot both how, um, how Obama and how Hillary handled the vitriol directed at them. And one of the first things Michelle Obama said is when, when they go high, when they go low, we go high, which is amazing. What an amazing thing. I'm going to totally steal that and teach my kids. And when I was at the Facebook Live event with Chelsea Clinton, she said, like, that hit me so hard. I'm going to teach my kids that. They're going to get tired of me saying that. I say it so much. Like, and they talked about what do you do when you're, you know, your children have to listen to somebody questioning their father's citizenry and their um, religion and all these things. Well, when they go low, we go high. And so her, you kind of got this insight into, like, how they've been this picture of class and grace and the last eight years, despite the, you know, the ugliness that's existed in the system, because, you know, no matter what you think about Barack Obama and his family policy-wise, you really can't argue with the fact that the way they've um, carried themselves and handled the last eight years has been sort of a masterclass in dealing with um, a situation like that. And so she sort of, like, opened up a little window in that, too, which I thought was really really great and insightful and super smart like I'm going to I'm going to offer you a little insult and be an insight and be vulnerable with you and then we can have this exchange which is super smart but she just amazing but I kept thinking when everybody was like Michelle for president where's she going what's she going to do I'm like you know what you would rip her apart just the same way you would anybody else who ran for president let's not all pretend because she gave this amazing speech that if Michelle Obama ran for president they wouldn't be you know, people wouldn't go after her just as hard, so. I think that her speech in a really um, effective way played to the theme that I see, which is the Democratic Party, and this has been building for a long time, and it's really irritating to a lot of Republicans, just as I think what Republicans do on the same token is really irritating to a lot of Democrats. You know, the Republican Party has tried to own religion mm -hmm. for a long time and sort of be the moral party. And the Democrats are saying, no, we're the moral party. Um, we're the party that owns tolerance, compassion, um, respect for others, dealing with criticism, with grace. You know, that is a theme. And it's, it's a struggle um, for me as a Republican to watch because I do tend to lean so much more progressive on social issues, um, but then I struggle with sort of the policy outcomes of some of those discussions. And so it's just a very clear thing that's being built here to say, nope, like we're the party that's right about everything on just a human level. And that theme is being so much more effectively than at the Republican convention because there's such division in the Republican Party over social issues um, that 
the Republican Party is not able to find that thing that they can keep reinforcing that that common thread throughout every presentation in the way that it's happening here. I think another good thing for us to just maybe wrap up on is like on a personal note, it is exhausting to be at these things. It's so tiring. We're tired. Uh, the people who work who work these events and who are constantly going one meeting to the next and having to actually do work to put it mm-hmm. on that takes unbelievable stamina because just attending mm-hmm. takes a stamina that is um, daunting. It really does. It really does. It's all, you know, it's going till midnight at the, really at the earliest, it feels like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And then they have these briefings at like eight 30. And who is at those things? I signed up. I was so optimistic, but we're not making it. So, and the logistics are really difficult. Yeah. Just getting a train or a cab or an Uber or whatever. Um, it's, it's kind of like reality has to be suspended for the time that you're here because yeah. it's just the effort of being here getting for at one point like we picked up our luggage and we were like yay we accomplished something <laughs> we made this happen yeah yeah it is it's really difficult especially when you're spoiled like I am in Paducah and everything is so easy getting places picking things up doing like you can accomplish so much in such a small amount of time and that's just not the reality here. The one thing I was going to say, too, about, um, last thing I was going to say about Bill's speech before uh, we wrap up is I, he had a really great moment where he talked about uh, the real one and the fake one, the real Hillary and the fake Hillary. And I think I've told this story before, but when I met Bill Clinton and asked him for advice for someone considering public office, he said, meet as many types of people as you can because people will want to portray you as two-dimensional. And, you know, the best way to, you know, be a real person and maybe that's really why Bill and Hillary Clinton have this long party with it, long history with the Democratic Party, despite the fact that most America can't, they can become caricatures. You know, he's the cheating dog, she's the ambitious bitch. But these people in this convention, most of them, I would say, have met them, um, have relationships with them, especially when you're talking about the party faithful. And that's why you get the cheers that you do when Bill Clinton comes in out because they know this man as the third dimensional complex human being that he is. They know Hillary Clinton as the complex human being she is. And so often that gets lost. And I think, you know, the conventions are the party's time to sort of really make that, um, make that case. And if I think if the, the part, if last night was about making Hillary Clinton like a three dimensional person with all these, relationships and stories they did a a dang good job so we're going to try to do sort of an observations episode like this every day while we're here we appreciate your patience with us the production value of these is probably going to be lower than we would like because we just can't kind of make everything happen we don't have all of our equipment and the editing process is just too time consuming for us to be able to both be here and put out fantastic quality episodes every day that we're here so thank you for your patience but we do want to give you as much information and insight as we can and we hope to see some of you on facebook and twitter throughout the week Uh, we'll talk with you again tomorrow keep a new one still